Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. It's a big one this week. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, we're counting down our favorite TV shows of 2021. We're each doing a top 10 list, and at number 10 on my list is something a little different, probably my favorite TV moment of the year. We're from Winnipeg, and with apologies to our friends in Hamilton, the Grey Cup game was a wonderful time as our beloved Blue Bombers won their second straight title in an overtime game that ended with an interception that involved three players. On the second and 18, Mazzoli. Oh, nearly intercepted, and it is! And it's over! They waited an extra year. And even regulation wasn't enough for Winnipeg, but they finally got it done. Go find the clip. It's a Hall of Fame Grey Cup moment again, sorry Tiger Cat fans. But the Blue and Gold fans also endured decades of losing before the team hit the hot streak they've been on the past couple of seasons, so it's a pretty big deal. And you know what? Even in the years my team doesn't win, the Grey Cup game is one of my favorite TV offerings each year. I always have a little get-together with a couple of friends, and it's always a great time. And anybody who was listening in Hamilton has likely turned off the show. (laughs) But good for you for celebrating something very special, something very Canadian. Coming in at number 10 for me, a true crime documentary, which is not usually my thing, but this one caught my attention. We got us a serial killer. There was no doubt about it. This was a pretty sick individual. The so-called Night Stalker who has terrorized California. The same man is suspected in six to eight murders and 25 to 30 attacks. He's someone that will go into a home at night and will kill. It's the only time in my entire life that I slept with a gun. Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. It debuted on Netflix on January 13th of 2021, and the four-part series is about the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, who went on a killing spree during a blistering hot summer in the mid-1980s in California, mostly in L.A., but not exclusively. There was no method to his madness, other than he would find his way into unlocked homes and kill somebody, anyone, men, women, He would even attack and hurt children. The show is led by the two detectives who hunted him down, and it was all just so well done. The visual style of the show was neat, the way they would display the map of Los Angeles and kind of zoom in for a 3D depiction of the map. Uh, But everything was in shadow on these maps, in darkness. So it was just a cool and nice touch that I think separated this show visually to make it stand out even more. I thought it was a great story, and it was just compelling and well-produced and well-edited. And when it ended, I actually clapped in my living room. I was so pleased with what I had just seen. I'm surprised it did not get better reviews, but I don't care. I loved Night Stalker on Netflix. Number nine on my list, also a hunt for a serial killer of sorts, and I'm as surprised as anyone how much I've been enjoying this new season of Dexter. I gotta lose this guy and find my son. I'm here to ask you about the guy who did that to your face. He poked me in the neck with, like, a needle. Seven times. Feels good to be bad. Save him. I can do this all day. Sometimes a kid just ends up suffering for the choices of his father. 
The original run of Dexter went out with a bit of a whimper eight years ago. My God, has it been that long? It ended with Dexter faking his death and escaping Miami to become a lumberjack in the Pacific Northwest, and everybody rolled their eyes. Dexter New Blood catches up with him years later. He's moved to upstate New York and changed his name. He's living a semi-regular life and has given up his serial killing ways. Until now, he kills again and the ramifications start piling up. His estranged son, now a teenager, tracks him down. His girlfriend, a cop, is on the case he's trying to bury. And there's a new serial killer to contend with. It's been much less clunky and obvious than the last few seasons of the original run. And the rural setting has been a very welcome change. The old show in Miami... That felt pretty strange and exotic. Now that he's small-town rural in the winter, well, I know what that's like. And you don't get to see a lot of that on TV, so it's a nice change of pace. Half the shows on my list are either set in New York or L.A., so anything that is not that feels a little refreshing. Also, Clancy Brown is in this season a lot, and that's always a good thing. Coming in at number nine for me, or should I say, nine-nine! Brooklyn Nine-Nine, its eighth and final season on NBC, ran for 10 episodes from August 12th to September 16th. It's a police comedy led by Andy Samberg, and it's super fun and super hilarious. But in the last few seasons, the show started to get more serious, and this particular moment from this final season was just a shotgun blast of emotion, courtesy of Captain Raymond Holt, played by Andrew Brower, speaking to Officer Amy Santiago, played by Melissa Fumero. It's been a tough year to be a black man. And a police captain. I'm a human. I've been pushed to the brink emotionally and physically. I went into survival mode, and it seems I have neglected my personal life. Does anyone else know? Not here. I have successfully hidden it for months. Not very well, I might add. I made small talk with Peralta on five separate occasions, and he never even batted an eye. He just blathered on about someone named, uh, Wario. Yeah, he does that. But you, (laughs) you noticed that something was off with me the very first day you returned. That just shows how well you know me. And while I'm not yet ready to talk about it, it's uh, nice feeling like I'm not alone anymore. Just exceptional work from Andre Brower. I tweeted out that moment, and uh, I guess it was a, a t- social media highlight for me because Melissa Fumero retweeted it, so I got a few extra likes because of that. I thought that was neat. But uh, the show had also had an exceptionally satisfying finale. You could say, Jeff, it was noise. It was super noise. And actually, I was going to mention Brooklyn Nine-Nine a couple of weeks back on our Best of the Rest episode, and I just plum forgot. And while we're talking about our social media moments, uh, comedian Brent Butt from uh, Corner Gas, he and I engaged in a little back and forth uh, trash talking before the Blue Bomber, Saskatchewan, Rough Rider, Western Final. <laughs> 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 And I won, so there you go. Next on my list, number eight. It's a wonderful limited series. It was hard to watch at times, but magical at other times. Easily the best made and best looking series of the year to me. From director Barry Jenkins, it's Prime Video's The Underground Railroad. Where do they go? The ones that run away and never return. There is nothing here but suffering. Pain and suffering. It is time to go. The girl in that bulletin is wanted for the murder of a child. Man lost my mom. Then me. 
Ain't no way he ever given up on finding me. The Underground Railroad is based on the book by Colton Whitehead and tells the story of Cora Randall, a young slave woman who escapes her plantation only to find that the road to freedom is possibly more dangerous than the plantation. The difference, of course, is that the road to freedom has hope and a light at the end of it, whereas the plantation does not. And while the show does not shy away from the violence suffered by slaves, it delivers a whole lot more than just that. It's a deep exploration of the humanity that is lost, damaged, saved, and vital to the struggle that Cora goes through in her attempts to gain her freedom. On her heels is Joel Edgerton, who has made a living catching escaped slaves. He's the devil incarnate, but the show also takes time to try to explain how he came to be as damaged as he is. It's not exactly empathy, but rather an exploration of how this kind of evil can grow inside a human being. Again, not an easy watch by any means, but a very fulfilling one. I highly recommend Prime Video's The Underground Railroad. At number eight on Brett's list, we turn once again to Netflix for the third season of You. Why does everybody think I'm impulsive? You are not making me kill anyone! Neither one of you is going to kill your spouse. You're many things, but you are not murderers. You sure about that? Season one debuted back in 2018. It's about a guy named Joe, and in that first season, he develops a crush. And that crush turns out to be far more sinister than just a crush. He becomes obsessed. He does everything he can to win her over, including removing whatever he deems to be an obstacle, i.e. he does bad things. But... He believes he's a good guy, that he's doing these things for good reasons. He either doesn't understand where the line is or he just can't control himself. It was a delightfully twisted show because even though he's clearly a bad guy, he's kind of likable. Jump to season three. Joe is now married and has a baby. And dysfunctional barely begins to describe this family because his wife is, well, kind of like him. Hooray for married killers. It's fun. So that's the first six shows on our list for our favorite shows of 2021. And in a moment, I think we're going to go under the dome, so to speak. Jeff Braun will explain next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're counting down our 20 favorite shows of 2021. And next on my list at number seven, it's sort of four shows, actually. It's the Marvel shows that came out this year on Disney+. Plus. I'm lumping them all together. We've got WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and Hawkeye. There's only about a thousand of them. Two of us. And that's not the only thing. Even Black Widow. That was really fun. Experience the show that everyone's talking about. He's someone you don't want to mess with. Kingpin. The people need to be reminded that the city belongs to me. Wow, I did not see that coming. Marvel Studios Hawkeye. All episodes now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Now, these shows weren't Marvel's first foray into TV. There were a couple of network shows earlier, like Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and the Netflix shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones. But the Disney Plus shows this year were the first shows starring superhero characters from the MCU, unless you count Phil from S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. At any rate, an exciting new vein in the MCU has been opened, and we learned a few things, mostly that these shows all could have been movies, but instead were turned into six-episode miniseries for the most part. I think I liked Hawkeye the most. It was a street-level superhero story, nothing terribly fancy, and I like the Christmas in New York setting. I really like Haley Steinfeld's 
performance, and the, the tracksuit mafia were very entertaining. Loki was a fun show, and it hurt my brain in a good way. Falcon and the Winter Soldier had a lot of bumps and didn't really live up to expectations, but still had a lot of great moments. And WandaVision started it all off in such a bonkers way last January with the characters inhabiting different sitcom settings for the first few episodes before it all turned into something more resembling an MCU story. And when you consider that the Falcon show was produced first, even though it aired second, you can see that the Marvel people seem to be learning quickly as they go as uh, how a TV series should function for them. So I'm excited for whatever they come out with next. And it's fun to have both movies and now TV shows all in this MCU world, Brett. At number seven for me, an awesome fantasy show on Netflix called Shadow and Bone. Am I a prisoner? One of Ravka is. Until you and I enter the fold and destroy it from within. So no pressure. Shadow and Bone debuted on April 23rd and is set in a country that's been divided by the fold. It's this massive black cloud that goes from the ground up and spreads for miles. And there are monsters that live inside it. There are some people with pseudo-magical powers, and the main character comes to learn she is the Sun Summoner. She can summon light, and she might be the key to destroying the fold. It's like nothing I've ever seen. It's, it mixes all kinds of genres, fantasy, political intrigue, western gunslinging, and more. It's just lots of fun, a great diverse cast. Love it! Next on my list at number six, one of the most popular shows of the year called Yellowstone. There's a war being waged against our way of life. That is progress in today's terms. I'm the wall that it bashes against. How? How can I beat him? Do you know where all the bodies are buried? I know who tried to kill me. He let me handle it. There is no morality here, Dad. There is keep the kingdom or there is lose the kingdom. You must stand on a cliff of death to understand your purpose in life. Hold it, sir. There's a difference between what's legal and what's just. Where's the justice for the man who tried to kill you? We don't kill sheep. We kill wolves. Cowboys don't say goodbye. They say see you later. Till we're in that dirt. have a new fight now be ready for it yellowstone taylor sheridan's yellowstone is a bunch of different shows all at once part western part soap opera with elements of dallas succession and downton abbey all rolled into one for me i also like to have some variety in the scenery of what i watch and ranch in montana is pretty unique kevin costner stars as john dutton the owner of the yellowstone ranch he has some kids who are in and out and back in the family business, each of whom have their own issues to deal with, often violently. And we spend time with Rip and all the ranch hands, often as comic relief, but also sometimes they're deadly serious. It's a lot of fun most of the time, although there are usually one or two storylines going on that are boring. But when you've got half a dozen stories starring 20 or more people, that's just going to happen. The fourth season has been kind of all over the map, but again, that's fine for this show because it's not held up to the lofty goals that something like Breaking Bad was. It's a fun time. I really got to get on that. I keep hearing more and more good things about that show. So maybe one day. <laughs> I, I eventually did get to the crown. That was always on my maybe one day list. So Yellowstone is right there. I will get to it sooner or later, most likely later. At number six for me from HBO, Mayor of Easttown. 
The Easttown Police Department received a call reporting a dead body in Creedham Creek. We've decided to bring in a county detective to assist with the case. How do you like working with my mom so far? We're just getting started out. Any tips? Lower your expectations. Should we do this outside? No. All right. Let's go. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mayor, what's what happening? She knows what's, what's happening, Tony. Okay. She knows. Mayor, All right, there. let's go. Are you friends with these people? Yeah. Mayor of Easttown stars Kate Winslet and debuted on April 18th on Crave in Canada. Winslet plays a small-town Pennsylvania detective looking into a local murder as her life crumbles around her. It is a dark and miserable show, but its cast is so good, and Winslet in particular, as always, is fantastic. This seven-episode series was supposed to be a limited series, But season two is an ongoing discussion to the point where Winslet herself is hinting at a possible storyline for it. So here's hoping because me want more. Did you watch this, Jeff? I can't remember. I did not, but it is on my list and it is actually at the very top of my list. And there is, I will say, a 45% chance that I will actually start watching it over the next week. And you love miserable stuff, so you'll like Mayor of Easttown. In a moment, Jeff and I are going globetrotting, sort of. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're counting down our favorite shows of 2021. We've each done the top five, or the bottom five, I would guess, in our top ten list. And now it's time to start the top five. And actually at number five on both of our lists, it's the same show. It's probably on your list as well. It was a global phenomenon on Netflix. It's Squid Game. Netflix says Squid Game is the most popular show they've ever had worldwide, and uh, people I never would have thought would watch something like this did watch it and really enjoyed it. Squid Game is a Korean show, as you may have gathered from the clip, about a bunch of people who desperately need money and who eventually are willing participants in a bunch of kids' games where the losers die. It's all sorts of crazy, and I think we'll all be slightly traumatized from that first episode game of Red Light, Green Light when we didn't really know what to expect. I know I wasn't expecting what we saw. Besides all the grisly surprises, the show also had a pretty good mystery going with who was behind this whole thing, and like the movie Parasite, also from Korea, it had a lot to do and say about the upper and lower classes in society. In short, Squid Game was bonkers and refreshingly original and really was the TV event of the year, Brett. And at number five for me... As Jeff pointed out, Squid Game, also on my list. I I swear we didn't plan it this way, though, to have them come in (laughs) back-to-back at number five. The Couch Potatoes seeing eye-to-eye on this one. Nine episodes debuted September 17th. As Jeff mentioned, the biggest show ever on Netflix. 1.65 billion hours of viewing in its first 28 days of release. I don't really know what that means exactly. Uh, Netflix is so weird with the way they release their stats, but whatever. But, uh, hey, it has some of the most heart-pounding tension in any show ever. The tug of war at the end of episode four into the beginning of episode five is, I think, the craziest thing I've maybe ever watched in a TV show. It's just so good. And I've even shown that episode, that moment 
to a couple of people who have said, you know what, I got to watch this show because I want to know what happens next. Um, yeah, Squid Game, super cool. The world's funniest dumb vampires returned for a third season of Laughs on FX this year. At number four on my list, it's What We Do in the Shadows. We have decided to make you a fully-fledged member of the team. You're going to make me a vampire? There's no, no chance. <laughs> Today is our first day as leaders of the Vampiric Council. Is there not a throne for all of us? <laughs> no! For now, I am letting Nandor think that we are sharing power. I will make her my number two. <laughs> but there can only be one supreme leader. We haven't decided oh, yet, Colin What we do in the shadows. Do you ever wonder that there is more to this life than just mindless killing and bloodlust? Yeah. You do? Of course not! Good night. Nandor, Laszlo, Nadja, and Colin Robinson came back for another season of Wacky Hijinks as they fought for control of the Vampiric Council, made friends with the neighbors, tried to make amends with the local werewolves, and then, of course, there was that surprise at the end. The show is a riot. If you've never seen it, it's about these old-school vampires living in modern-day New York City, and there's a lot of fish-out-of-water humor because they're all hundreds of years old and don't understand most of modern life. There's also a lot of Homer Simpson-esque dumb guy humor, and it's all sold a little more strongly because of the mockumentary style and the presence of Guillermo, their human helper who more than anything wants to be made a vampire himself. It's good stuff all around. It always makes me laugh a lot. If you've not seen it, check out What We Do in the Shadows on FX. At number four, well, for number five for both of us was an international smash hit on Netflix from South Korea. At number four for me, another international smash hit on Netflix, this one from Spain. Uno! Si dispara, solo va a tener los muertos. Y la quiebra. Se lo dije a Tamayo y se lo repito. O ganamos los dos, o perdemos los dos. You don't have to watch these shows, by the way, in Spanish or in Korean. You can watch them with English dubs, but we always recommend watching it in its original language. This one is Money Heist. It wrapped up this year with its fifth and final season split into two volumes. The first of which arrived in September, the second in December. I first started watching the show when season four debuted last year and suddenly was on my top ten on Netflix. And uh, I was instantly hooked. As you can surmise from the title, it's a heist crime drama about two big heists prepared by the Professor, a.k.a. El Profesor, one on the Royal Mint of Spain, the other on the Bank of Spain. It is a thrill ride. It's ingeniously written with a wonderful cast. The first half of the final season kind of let me down a little bit, but the back half brought it home with an immensely satisfying finish, even if it seemed a little unrealistic. Like, I kind of found myself wondering, why don't they just do this instead? Whatever. Who cares? It's fun. <laughs> I've got to get into that money heist. That's uh, somewhere on my to-watch list as well. One day I will get to that one. Another show that's on both of our lists this year, number three for me, it's HBO's Succession. Tom, hey, Greg. do you mind chatting with Comfrey? I want to check in on the princess. The princess now? Yeah. I thought she was a contessa. Yeah, but I guess through her dad, she's like eighth in line for the throne of Luxembourg. Eighth in line? Greg, you marry her, you're plane crash away from becoming Europe's weirdest king. <laughs> Don't be silly. Dude, you off a couple of hemophiliacs and you'll be the king of Luxembourg. You'd sound like a fancy cookie. <laughs> 
Europe's weirdest king line. I think that was like this is a show where the swears are funny, but the Europe's weirdest king bit is the funniest thing they did all year on Succession. This is the story of the Roy family, a wealthy and powerful family that owns a media empire headed up by Patriarch patriarch logan roy with the help from his kids and they're all terrible people it's a mix of drama and comedy and just when you sort of convince yourself that it's mostly comedy uh jeremy strong walks on screen and gives a devastatingly sad dramatic performance i'm not a good person well whatever you're fine i'm i'm bad (laughs) come on lighten up glum glum I killed a kid. Yeah, that part wasn't funny. But Kieran Culkin, the other uh, voice we heard there, his brother is often the comic highlight of an episode of Succession. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that Jeremy Strong's giving the best dramatic performance on TV since Brian Cranston and Breaking Bad. The episode with his birthday party, the season finale when he's crying to his siblings like we heard there, great stuff. And then Roman or Tom or Greg or Logan will say something hilarious or horrible or probably both. And I swear we didn't plan this either because at number three on my list... We're coming up to the finishing line. Cut the horse. Know your role. And remember, money wins. Season three of Succession, the HBO show. It airs in Canada on Crave. Debuted October 17th and wrapped up December 12th. And for me, uh, as you pointed out, Jeff, uh, all the characters are horrible. And so this is a unique show in that it's tough to imagine watching a show where there is not one single character who is likable. Like, why waste your time if they're all jerks? But I heard somebody describe it as being almost voyeurism. And I actually, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, here we are watching this billionaire family from this monster media corporation fighting over power. And it's just fascinating with some excellent performances, excellent dialogue, the way they cut cut each other down. Like Brian Cox, people come up to him on the street and ask him to tell them off. Like, they want him to swear at them. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I just, I think it's poetry. So, yeah, Succession, wonderful, wonderful show. Next on my list at number two, it's HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Hey, did you call earlier? Our phones have been down all day. Yeah, I was calling to see if Jake had converted. Ba-dum-bum. What's that? ba dum Yeah, that's what I thought you did. Little women? Yeah. I can't stand those March sisters. Boy, do they get on my nerves. What about them gets on your nerves? They're giggling all the time, making jam, getting under the blanket, cozying up with Marmy. What? I am so sorry. I'm still mad at you. So disappointed. Everybody's disappointed in me at some point. Larry David is doing something few others can do, keeping a long-running show consistently firing on all cylinders. In fact, I would say this past season of Curb Your Enthusiasm was the best that they've had in several years. It was the 11th, I believe. Larry, Leon, Susie, Jeff, all the regulars killing it, as you would expect. I especially like the Larry-Susie relationship where they have each other's backs when they need to, but then 
can also quickly derail into an insane shouting match over nothing at all. And then five minutes later, it's forgotten and they team up on another crazy scheme. The guest stars this year were amazing. Starting with the first episode and Albert Brooks, not only is he made for a show like this, he's also the brother of the late great Bob Einstein, who played Marty Funkhauser for many years on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So it added some extra depth to having Brooks come on the show. Vince Vaughn, also born for this kind of improv comedy, and he's been a very welcome semi-regular addition the last couple of seasons. But honestly, the show's highlight this year was Tracy Ullman as a horrible drip of a human that Larry starts dating in order to manipulate her as a city councillor into repealing a law that has landed him in trouble. Uh, that sounds crazy, and uh, watching it was just as crazy. She was wonderful in every scene she was in. She's not afraid to go gross, but also not so gross that it's just shock humor. She's just a master of comedy and a perfect fit for Kirby Enthusiasm. Hopefully, Larry can figure out a way to bring her back next season. I confess I've only watched one episode so far. I don't know why I'm letting this pile up on my PVR, but there they sit. So this is a good <laughs> reminder to get on it and watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. In a moment, I have a dilemma between number one and number two, and deliberations, I think, are actually ongoing. We'll find out next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We're counting down our top 20 shows of 2021. My number two show debuted on September 17th on Netflix. And when I did finally get around to watching it a few weeks later, I wondered aloud on this show if it would be my number one show. But I've decided to go with making it second place. It's season three of Sex Education. How come Ruby didn't drive you in today? I wanted to ride in with my best friend. Mm? You've had a fight, haven't you? No, I have not. Had a fight? Exactly. What did you do? Okay, um, all right. So, a few days ago, Ruby said, I love you, and I didn't say it back. Oh my god. What did you say? I said, that's nice. Is that bad? <laughs> very bad. Very, very bad. <laughs> you said that's nice. Sex Education is a British teen comedy drama following the lives of students, staff, and parents as they deal with various personal issues, often related to sex. One of the best shows I've ever watched set in a school. There's something in it for everyone in terms of relatability. It's an inclusive show with a diverse cast. It has amazing characters across the board, not afraid to discuss and have fun with topics that are otherwise too risque. And it's funny. I just, I love it so much. Now we're up to our number one shows each. And my favorite show this year was called Only Murders in the Building. This doesn't make sense. Where do we start? At the very beginning. I got in the elevator with these two weirdos. Then Tim got in the elevator. Approximately 12 minutes from now, I will be murdered. Tim Kono's death has been ruled a homicide. And apparently one of you did it. I can't stop thinking about this. Neither can I. We should do our own true crime podcast. We're going to go down there and look around for clues. Do you want to come? Do I want to break into a dead guy's apartment and go through all his shit? Sounds like an afternoon. Right now, the only thing that matters is that there's a killer on the loose in our building. Oh, that is a very good line. 
Badly delivered, but a good line. Only Murders in the Building on Disney Plus, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. They team up to solve a murder in their New York City apartment building and make a podcast about their investigation. It ended up being a wonderful hybrid of comedy, drama, and mystery, and kind of nailed the tone of all three simultaneously, which is hard to do, especially the murder mystery part, which it is satirizing but also providing an excellent example of how to properly do it there were some red herrings of course but not so many that it felt like pointless filler and not so few that you could just easily figure out who did it halfway through the season and they stuck the landing when all was said and done the story made sense the characters and their motivations made sense the climax and reveals felt earned and again it was all delivered with a perfect mix of drama and comedy the drama kept the stakes and emotion real while the comedy i mean Come on, you have Steve Martin and Martin Short, who have become one of the greatest comedy teams of the last 20 years. Short especially firing on all cylinders. They're already making season two, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen next with only murders in the building. So for my number one show, as mentioned, I had a dilemma. I wasn't sure if sex education was going to end up number one or if this was going to be number one. The Ted Lasso welcome wagon has arrived. Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus. I started watching it this year after I signed up for Apple TV Plus so I could watch Come From Away. And you can believe all the hype you've heard about this show. In case you know nothing about Ted Lasso. This is a bit of news from the other side of the Atlantic. AFC Richmond announced the hiring of their new manager, American football coach Ted Lasso. You're an American who's now in charge of a football club despite possessing very little knowledge of the game. I know that AFC Richmond is going to give you everything they got, win or lose. Or tie. Right, y'all do ties here. So Jason Sudeikis plays this American college football coach who is hired to manage an English soccer team. Character goes back to 2013 when Sudeikis started a commercial for NBC Sports. It was a great spot, a fun character. There was later a short film which expanded a bit more on the character. And now we've got this full series. And I mentioned it. When I watched it, I said Ted Lasso will be my favorite show of 2021. It might have even been my favorite show of 2020 had I watched the first season last year. And this will easily be one of my favorite shows of the decade. It's amazing. I eventually wavered, wondering if Sex Education would overtake it, like I mentioned. I think Sex Education was maybe the better show. But just for the overall impact that Ted Lasso had on me, it was just so nice to watch Son and Unapologetically optimistic show to watch something that just made me happy it was the first show i'd watched in a while that just made me happy and it's super funny i love ted lasso those are our favorite 20 shows of 2021 i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother